Welcome to Aminder, or welcome back to Aminder. If you're looking to stay up to date on the latest literature published on Alzheimer's disease, you're in the right place. This is the first of two Aminder episodes in this particular series that takes a look at neuroprotection and maintaining neurotransmitter balance in Alzheimer's disease. And in this episode, we'll be focusing on papers that were published in May of 2021 that target neuronal or synaptic protection as a therapeutic strategy. Stay tuned for what's sure to be another informative episode. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Hello, everyone. My name is Anusha Kamesh, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'll be covering 21 papers that are divided into three topics, the use of pre-existing synthetic compounds, naturally occurring compounds, or synthesizing or enhancing drugs to ultimately offer neuroprotection in Alzheimer's disease, or AD, models. Before we get started, I will do my due diligence to inform you that while these papers are all published on PubMed and in peer-reviewed journals, I haven't vetted them for quality. So be sure to be your own critic and take the time to explore these papers further by visiting our free bibliography that is attached to the episode notes. We also have a link in there for a feedback survey that would help us out greatly if you could fill it out. And if you do fill it out before June 30th of 2021, you'll be entered into a draw for a $30 gift card. Now we host quite a few episodes every month, but can't cover all the literature that's been released in any given month. Even for those papers that we don't cover, there are bibliographies available and published, so you can stay up to date on those as well. All right, let's get into it. You can find these papers that I mentioned in the bibliography through the order in which I mentioned them. We will, of course, begin with paper number one in the very first section, which is focused on the use of pre-existing synthetic compounds to target neuroprotection in AD. This paper is called a Phase II Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled 24-Week Treatment Clinical Study of the P38-alpha kinase inhibitor neflamapimod in mild Alzheimer's disease. And paper number one was published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy. The first author is Prinz, and the last author is Shelton's, and these authors are affiliated to institutions and companies based in the Netherlands, UK, and USA. First of all, I don't normally see the conflict of interest section filled out, but this one is quite extensive, and a few of the authors are receiving funding from various pharmaceutical companies. So just bear that in mind while you hear this summary. In this paper, the authors report the findings of a phase 2 clinical trial of the P38 alpha kinase inhibitor called neflamapamod. In animal models, this compound was shown to relieve synaptic dysfunction in the hippocampus, both functionally as well as through A-beta and tau pathology. For 24 weeks, participants were given this inhibitor or placebo twice daily and were assessed through mini mental state examinations or MMSE scores, clinical dementia ratings, also known as CDRs, as well as the Hopkins Verbal Learning Test Revised Total and Delayed Recall Scores. 
They also assessed CSF-AD biomarkers in these participants. What they found, in summation, was that the inhibitor treatment did not improve episodic memory in participants with mild AD, but did lower CSF biomarkers that are associated with synaptic dysfunction. They conclude by suggesting that it could take a longer time to see the effects of the inhibitor, so check out the paper for all the details. Moving on to paper number two. This paper was published in NeuroReport, Effects of Denepazil on the Amplitude of Low-Frequency Fluctuations in the Brain of Patients with Alzheimer's Disease, Evidence from Resting State Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging. The first author is Young, and the last author is Cheng, and these authors, as well as the third middle author, Zhang, are all affiliated with the Tongde Hospital of Zhejiang Province in China. So our next paper focuses on the drug denepazil, which is a cholinesterase inhibitor that's already being used in AD to treat changes in cognitive function. If you're a long-time listener, you've probably heard of this compound already, uh, either in my episodes or in others. Here is another study in humans, where they assessed the effects of denepazil on spontaneous neuronal activity through the amplitude of low-frequency fluctuations in resting state fMRIs, or functional magnetic resonance imaging. This study is only looking at 11 participants, but what they found was that in these participants, six months of treatment increased MMSE scores and reduced the Alzheimer's disease assessment scale cognitive subscale scores, which were positively correlated to changes in fMRI measurements. The measurements suggest that spontaneous neuronal activity increased in the right triangular and right orbital parts of the inferior frontal gyrus and reduced in the left medial orbital portion of the superior frontal gyrus as well as the right gyrus rectus. They conclude by stating denepazil improves spontaneous neuronal activity in the frontal lobe of individuals with AD and that this particular metric derived from fMRI could be used in assessing the effectiveness of other AD treatments. Up next is paper 3. Anti-lingo-1 antibody ameliorates cognitive impairment, promotes adult hippocampal neurogenesis, and increases the abundance of CB1R-rich CCK GABAergic interneurons in AD mice. Paper number three was published in Neurobiology of Disease. The first author is He and the last author is Tang, and these authors were all based in China. The authors of this paper follow up on the findings that the protein Lingo1, whose full name is very long, but you can find it in the paper if you're curious, has negative regulatory effects on neurons. Using the APP-PS1 mouse model of AD, researchers administered an antibody against Lingo1 for two months starting at 10 months. They found that this treatment significantly improved cognitive ability increased adult neurogenesis in the hippocampus, reduced A-beta deposition, increased the volume of the hippocampus, and increased the total number of neurons as well as GABAergic interneurons in the hippocampus. They state that Lingo1 is important for hippocampal neuron loss in AD and that targeting it with an antibody is effective at preventing cell loss and increasing neurogenesis of the hippocampus. Paper number four is titled, A Novel Heptapeptide, GPP-GPAG, Transfers to the Brain and Ameliorates Memory Dysfunction and Dendritic Atrophy in Alzheimer's Disease Model Mice. And this was published in Frontiers in Pharmacology. The first author is Toda and the last author the last author is Hirano, and these authors are affiliated to the University of 
Toyama, and Research Institute Japan Bioproducts. Another paper with a declared conflict of interest, as some of these authors are employed by a biotech company in Japan. Researchers here look to a heptapeptide called GPP-GPAG for its potential as an AD therapy and evaluated its anti-AD effects in A-beta-treated cortical neurons as well as in the 5X-FAD mouse model of AD. A-beta-treated cortical neurons, which were also treated with heptapeptide, had less dendritic atrophy than control A-beta neurons, but no change in axonal atrophy. Both pre- and postsynaptic densities were improved with the heptapeptide treatment. When mice were given this compound for 15 days, they demonstrated significant improvement in object recognition memory as well as dendritic density. 28-day direct infusion of this compound into the lateral ventricle also improved behavioral outcomes. They confirmed that oral administration did result in heptapeptide brain localization and that a potential interactor is 1433-epsilon. Knockdown of 1433-epsilon attenuated the effects of the heptapeptide in dendritic atrophy. Altogether, oral administration of GPP-GPAG can ameliorate memory dysfunction in the AD brain of model animals, and this is potentially through the actions of 1433-epsilon. Paper 5 was published in Journal of Neuroscience. The first author is Radhakrishnan and the last author is Heed. This seems to be a collaboration between the universities of California and Kentucky, and the result of this collaboration is called... Tacrolimus protects against age-associated microstructural changes in the beagle brain. Calcium homeostasis is now the name of the game, and tacrolimus, which inhibits calcineurin, is player one. Authors in this study tested the hypothesis that tacrolimus administration can prevent age-associated atrophy in a population of 30 beagles, and they opted to use higher-order diffusion MRI to test this. Tacrolimus administered over one year reduced hippocampal and parahippocampal neurite density indices and attenuated the age-dependent increase in parahippocampal orientation dispersion index. They also found reduced fractional anisotropy in the prefrontal cortex of treated brains. These alterations seem to precede cognitive decline and gross atrophy. They conclude by stating that middle-aged administration of tacrolimus can protect against age-related changes to the cortex, which could repurpose this FDA-approved drug as it is currently used to suppress organ transplant rejection. Interesting finding, but I must admit, I have an emotional connection to an old beagle I wish could have received tacrolimus in its younger years. I miss you, Misty. Up next is paper 6, which is called The Organic Cation Transporter 2 Inhibitor Quinidine Modulates the Neuroprotective Effect of Nerve Growth Factor and Mamantine on Cholinergic Neurons of the Basal Nucleus of Maynard in Organotypic Brain Slices. This was published in the journal Pharmacology. The first author is Gulson, and the last author is Humpel, and this seems to be a collaboration between institutes that are based in Turkey and Austria. So moving on, we have a paper that looks at nerve growth factor, which is actually the most efficacious protective factor for cholinergic neurons. This paper also looks at memantine, which blocks glutamate-induced excitotoxicity. 
Authors hypothesized that the effects of both nerve growth factor and memantine could be modulated by the activity of organic cation transporter 2, or OCT2, on cholinergic neurons in the nucleus basalis of Maynard. They incubated brain slices with NGF, memantine, OCT2 inhibitor quinidine, and combinations of these treatments for two weeks and then stained for choline acetyltransferase. They found that both NGF and memantine protected against loss of cholinergic neurons, and these effects were inhibited by quinidine co-application. Quinidine alone did not induce toxicity. Altogether, their findings suggest that OCT2 plays a role in neuroprotective effects of memantine and NGF in cholinergic neurons. We're going to be switching topics with paper number seven, which comes out of the journal Combinatorial Chemistry and High Throughput Screening. We were looking at pre-existing synthetically derived compounds, but now we're going to look at using naturally occurring compounds. Paper seven is entitled The Molecular Mechanism of Scutellaria Bacalensis Georgi Stems and Leaves Flavonoids in Promoting Neurogenesis and Improving Memory Impairment in the PI3K AKT Krebs Signaling Pathway in Rats. The first author is Liu and the last author is Shang, and this paper comes out of the province of Hebei in China. We are now shifting gears slightly towards the use of compounds that are naturally occurring as treatment for AD. The first paper in this section looks at flavonoids from the leaves and stems of the plant Scutellaria bacalensis georgi, and the authors here tested the idea that these compounds can promote neurogenesis and improve memory by its actions on the PI3K AKT Krebs signaling pathway. You can explore the abstract and the paper for yourself for all of the details, but I will summarize by stating that they found in an A-beta-induced rat model of AD that 43 days of flavonoid treatment improved memory impairment and promoted neurogenesis in the hippocampus through activation of the Krebs signaling pathway and through upregulating protein expression of TRAC-B, PI3 kinase, AKT, Krebs, and IGF-2. Up next is a collaboration between the United States and China with first author Wei and last author Iqbal, and paper 8 was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. This is titled, Neurotrophic Treatment Initiated During Early Postnatal Development Prevents the Alzheimer's-Like Behavior and Synaptic Dysfunction. This is a paper that explores the effects of congenital genetic mutations on AD development. The authors propose that because of the genetic basis for this form of early-onset AD, these individuals can be targeted early to prevent AD altogether. They used the 3XTG AD model to test the efficacy of the ciliary neurotrophic factor-derived peptide P021. Female mice were treated from birth to postnatal day 120 with this P021 in their diet and assessed for cognitive function and molecular markers of neuroplasticity. Authors found that the treatment prevented cognitive impairment and increased expression of phosphocreb and BDNF which further activate the PLCPKC, MEK-ERK, and the PI3K-AKT signaling pathways. In summary, Further studies need to be done in order to assess whether this treatment could also be effective in people in order to protect them from familial forms of AD. 
Since I work in familial Parkinson's disease, I can relate to the sentiment that early preventative measures have the potential to significantly influence quality of life in individuals who are predisposed to developing the disease. Up next in Scientific Reports is Paper 9, Neuromodulation and Neuroprotective Effects of Chlorogenic Acids in Excitatory Synapses of Mouse Hippocampal Cells. The first author here is Fernandez, and the last author is Tome, and these are researchers based in both Portugal and Brazil. Did you know that coffee intake is associated with increased health span or the period of a person's life that they remain healthy? There are several components in coffee that can improve brain and synaptic dysfunction. Here, authors employed electrophysiology to test the hippocampal activity in mouse brains treated with A-beta 1 to 42. Specifically, they tested chlorogenic acids found in coffee for their effects on synaptic transmission. Check out the paper for the names of the compounds, as I don't want to spend too much time trying to pronounce organic chemistry nomenclature. The short forms of these acids are CA and NCA, and both did not seem to have an effect on synaptic transmission, paired pulse facilitation, LTP, or LTD in the CA1 region of the hippocampus. However, they did find the acids improved recovery of synaptic transmission following 7 minutes of oxygen and glucose deprivation in an ischemia model in vitro. They also found that in animals with hippocampal-dependent memory deterioration, the acid attenuated the observed shift of LTD into LTP. Therefore, although these compounds don't directly reduce synaptic dysfunction, they can do so indirectly through promoting recovery from dysfunction. Next up is a group of authors who are based in St. Petersburg, Russia. This was published in the journal Pharmaceuticals, which is out of Basel, Switzerland. And you guessed it, this is paper 10. Neuroprotective Effects of Tripeptides, Epigenetic Regulators in Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Kevinson, and the last author is Pechukov. Now, this paper is actually a bit of a departure from familiar territory for me, and it could be for you as well. But authors here used molecular dynamics as well as the 5XFAD mouse model of Alzheimer's disease to assess epigenetic changes after the administration of two peptides named KED and EDR. They looked at molecular modeling of the theoretical docking sites of these two peptides in double-stranded DNA that result in lowest energy complex. The EDR peptide seemed to bind to sites in the promoter region of genes such as CASP3, APOE, and SOD2 genes. Now, there's a whole list of these genes, I just highlighted a few here, so check out the paper for further details of gene interactions, as well as more details on the dynamics of the KED peptide. Back to the mouse model, they found that administration of these peptides from 2 to 4 months of age seemed to prevent dendritic spine elimination and increased neuroplasticity. In short, KED and EDR are two peptides that seem to elicit translational changes to AD-related genes and may have neuroprotective effects. Paper number 11 was published in the journal Neuropsychiatric Disease and Treatment by first author Tang and last author Lee, and this is called LNC-RNA-Associated Competitive Endogenous RNA Regulatory Network in an A-beta 25-35-induced AD mouse model treated with tryptoregium glycoside. This comes to us from authors based in Wuzhou and Changzha, China. In this paper, researchers looked at the compound tryptoregium glycoside, or TG, for the contribution of competing endogenous RNAs in its mechanism of treatment for AD. 
32 mice were treated with A-beta 25 to 35 and divided into the AD plus saline group as well as the AD plus TG group. Expression profiles of long non-coding RNA, microRNA, and mRNA were created using microarray analysis. Gene ontology and the Kyoto Encyclopedia of Genes and Genomes were used to predict the regulatory networks. They found 503 differentially expressed genes, 661 differentially expressed long-known coding RNAs, and 13 differentially expressed microRNAs with TG treatment in this model for Alzheimer's disease. Check out the paper for more details, and if you're truly interested in the genetic contributions to Alzheimer's disease, check out our episode on familial mutations, new variants, and more genetic insights in AD, hosted by Joseph later on in this series. Before we continue, we're about halfway through the episode, so let's pause for a moment and stretch our bodies and minds. See you soon! Hey listeners! I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And we're back with paper 12. Still on the same topic of using naturally occurring compounds to target neuroprotection. Paper 12 was published in the FASEB journal, and it's called Cannabidiol Regulates CB1 Phosphostat 3 Signaling for Neurite Outgrowth, Prolongs Lifespan, and Improves Health Span in Cyanorhabditis Elegans of A-Beta Pathology Models. The first author is Wang, and the last author is Huang, and the authors are based in New South Wales, Australia. You know, upon summarizing this paper, I realized I've been pronouncing cannabidiol wrong this whole time. <laughs> but that doesn't change the outcome of the paper, which looks at the efficacy of this compound in protecting against neurodegeneration induced by A-beta toxicity. In SHSY5Y cells, CBD treatment prevented damage to neurons observed with A-beta 1-42 treatment and induced the expression of fatty acid amide hydroxylase and cannabinoid receptor 1. In primary hippocampal neurons, CBD protected against reduced spine density and against reduced activity of synaptic calcium signaling through CAM kinase 2. In transgenic C. elegans, which express human A-beta, CBD treatment increased both lifespan and health span. All in all, CBD seems to be another potential neuroprotective treatment for AD. Up next is paper 13. This was published in Degenerative Neurological and Neuromuscular Disease, and it is titled Melatonin Improves Short-Term Spatial Memory in a Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Laban, and the last author is Al-Ghamdi, and the authors are based in Saudi Arabia. Melatonin, in addition to its function as a sleep hormone, actually has antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and neuroprotective properties. In this study, a sporadic AD mouse model was used to test melatonin effects on spatial memory as well as gene expression levels. They found that melatonin improved spatial memory as well as increased CREB1 and BDNF gene expression in the hippocampus of AD-induced mice. Be sure to check out the paper for more details of their model and for more details on their findings. 
With paper number 14, we are heading back to Toyama, Japan. The authors are affiliated with institutes based here and in Kurume, Japan. And this paper is titled, Horse Placental Extract Enhances Neurogenesis in the Presence of Amyloid Beta. This was published in the journal Nutrients by first author De Toledo and last author Toda. The next three papers are all a little bit different. This one is looking at placental extracts derived from pigs and horses for its potential use as a neuroprotective treatment. Here they examined the effects of horse placental extract on neurogenesis and memory impairment in the 5X FAD mouse model of AD. The oral administration of the extract at a young age seemed to prevent the onset of memory dysfunction at a later time point. So here is another paper that suggests we can treat young to offer neuroprotection against against AD onset later on in life. Paper number 15 was published in Biomedicines. The authors are affiliated in Taiwan. It is called Mesenchymal Stem Cell-Derived Exomes Ameliorate Alzheimer's Disease Pathology and Improve Cognitive Deficits. The first author is Chen and the last author is Liu. And in the same vein as the last paper, we're moving now into stem cell-derived compounds. In this paper, authors looked at the efficacy of mesenchymal stem cell-derived exomes as a human neural familial model of Alzheimer's disease and in vivo in transgenic mice. They found that exome administration reduced A-beta levels and improved the expression of memory and plasticity-related genes in the cell model. In vivo, they found that exomes increased brain glucose metabolism and improved cognitive function. In the brains of these mice, they've also found that astrocytes were more regulated after treatment with exomes. There you have it, a cell-free exome-based potential treatment for AD. Paper number 16 is called Therapeutic Potential of Dental Pulp Stem Cell Transplant in a Rat Model of Alzheimer's Disease. This comes to us from the journal Neural Regeneration Research by first author Zhang and last author Fu, and these author affiliations are spread out over three Chinese hospitals. Our final paper in this section tests the therapeutic potential of dental pulp stem cells, which actually show greater potential for treatment because of their capacity for neurogenic differentiation and their ability to secrete various neurotrophic factors. A-beta 1-42 induced rats were used to test the efficacy of dental pulp stem cells as an AD treatment. Transplanting these cells into the hippocampus after A-beta induction increased expression of neuronal markers NUN and neurofilament 200 in the hippocampus. A-beta expression was also reduced. Cognitive and behavioral deficits were improved as well. Altogether, the authors demonstrate the therapeutic potential of dental pulp stem cells as AD treatment. We are switching gears again, and now we're going to look more on the drug design and drug development side of the equation with paper 17. This is called Design, Synthesis, and Evaluation of Dihydropyranopyrazole Derivatives as Novel PDE2 Inhibitors for the Treatment of Alzheimer's Disease. This was published in the journal Molecules by first author Zhao and last author Huang, and this comes out of Sun Yat-sen University and Hainan University in China. The first paper in this final section is targeting phosphodiesterase 2, or PDE2, for AD treatment. 
The authors here follow up on the hit RLZ77, which showed moderate PDE2 activity with an IC50 of around 260 nanomolar. They then designed and synthesized 28 dihydropyranopyrazole derivatives to test them as potential inhibitors. The most potent of them was plus minus 11H, which had an IC value of roughly 41 nanomolar, which is over six times as potent as that last compound I'd mentioned. Check out the paper for information on molecular docking and mechanism of inhibition, but overall I will say that their synthesized compounds show the potential to be highly potent PDE2 inhibitors. Next is paper 18, which is called Identification of Novel A-Beta LIL-RB2 Inhibitors as Potential Therapeutic Agents for Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Lao, and the last author is Guo, and these authors are affiliated to Jiang Medical University in China. This paper was published in Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience. In this paper, authors looked at the A-beta receptor, LILRB2, which can play a role in memory deficits and loss of synaptic plasticity. Here, they used ELISAs to screen for potential inhibitors of the A-beta-LILRB2 interaction. Of the 110 compounds screened, four showed higher potency than the positive control of fluciparaline. You can check out the abstract or the paper for the IC50 values, as well as docking dynamics, but they tested these compounds in an SHSY5Y cell line induced with A-beta and found that their compound 104, was able to reverse A-beta-mediated cofilin dephosphorylation, hyperphosphorylation of tau, and inhibition of neurite outgrowth. In summary, they suggest compound 104 is a potential new therapeutic treatment for AD. Paper number 19 was published by first author Silvestro and last author Mazon and is titled The Moringan Alpha CD Pretreatment Induces Neuroprotection in an In Vitro Model of Alzheimer's Disease, a Transcriptomic Study. This was published in the journal Current Issues in Molecular Biology and seems to be a collaboration between Italian and French researchers. Moringin, or it could be pronounced moringin, I'm not sure, is a naturally occurring compound that has been shown to have neuroprotective, antioxidant, and anti-amyloidogenic properties. However, it is not readily available for uptake into the brain because of its insolubility in water. Researchers conjugated moringin with alpha-cyclodextrin and tested its effects on transcriptional profiles in an in vitro AD model using SHSY5Y cells treated with A-beta 1-42. They found that pretreatment with the modified moringin reduced gene expression of proteins with autophagic, mitophagic, and senescence function. They also showed that this compound influenced axon guidance through, at least in part, regulating the slit robo signaling pathway. Neuronal protection was also offered through the reduction of cleaved caspase 3, which is a part of the apoptotic pathway. In summary, their findings indicate that moringin, when conjugated to alpha-cyclodextran, can potentially slow down Alzheimer's disease progression. Paper 20 is titled, Systematically Designed Kytosan-coated solid lipid nanoparticles of ferulic acid for effective management of Alzheimer's disease, a preclinical evidence. This was published by first author Saini and last author Singh, and these researchers are based in Punjab University, India. 
Paper 20 was published in the journal Colloids and Surfaces B Biointerfaces. Now, this is the second last paper of our episode on the subject of the antioxidant ferulic acid. Ferulic acid has poor water solubility and inadequate lipophilic barrier permeability. Authors, derf- authors therefore developed chitosan coated solid lipid nanoparticles containing ferulic acid through central composite design optimization. Ex vivo permeation and adhesion through ex vivo permeation and adhesion through goat nasal mucosa was coupled with extended drug release thanks to these lipid nanoparticles. In AD induced rats, treatment with these particles improved cognition and biochemical parameters as well as weight gain. Histopathological imaging showed no change in tissue morphology in different rat organs. Therefore, this method could be a safe and effective way to administer ferulic acid intranasally. Finally, we have paper 21, Alcoxyl Glycerol Enhanced Activity of Oxyresveratrol in Alzheimer's Disease by Rescuing Tau Protein. The first author is Lakshmi and the last author is Shivan, and the authors are based in and the authors are divided into the Kerala University of Fisheries and Ocean Studies and Mangalore University in India. This paper was published in the journal Neuroscience Letters. We've made it to our final paper of the episode, and it also looks at an antioxidant. This time, however, the antioxidant is oxyresveratrol. We're seeing a trend here, as this compound is also not very soluble in water and therefore has limited bioavailability. These authors have also used cyclodextrin to increase solubility, but instead of the alpha-cyclodextrin used in the Meringan study, we're going with beta. They also tested for combination treatment with fish oil derivatives alkoxylglycerols and saw that these derivatives were able to reduce tau protein levels in flies through enhancing the activity of the modified resveratrol. Dietary supplementation of both of these compounds improved learning and memory in a climbing assay in their tau fly model. All of this suggests that the delivery of oxyresveratrol is improved with cyclodextrin conjugation and that its activity is enhanced with the fish oil derivatives tested here. We've reached the end of another episode, so congratulations on sticking with me all the way through. If you're interested in other episodes, I'll be releasing another one later on in the series on neurotransmitter balance. But between now and then, we actually publish a new episode every weekday, so you have plenty of options to choose from. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to listen to us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Or if you're interested in joining our team, you can reach out to us by email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com and attach your CV. A special thank you to our sorting team, to Sarah for reviewing my script, to Ellen for reviewing my edits, to Rini for the bibliography, and to Christy for uploading this video to YouTube. Another thank you to the podcast for using my music that you hear right now. If you like it and feel like exploring further, I'm on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh and on YouTube under AK Music. I hope you found this podcast useful and accessible and that you join me again on another episode. Ciao! Until next time.